In her New York Times best-selling book, Unbroken, Laura Hillenbrand documents the amazing life story of a man by the name of Louis Zamperini. Now, I've never read the book. I know that a few of you have, and it comes highly recommended, but I am familiar with Louis's story. Louis Zamperini was an Olympic runner, a World War II fighter pilot. He was a Japanese POW and an incredible example of what it looks like to forgive others like Christ. Louis ran the 5,000-meter event for the United States back in the 1936 Olympics that was held in Berlin, Germany. Even today, he remains the youngest American to qualify in this event at the Olympics. Before Japan attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, Louis had enlisted in the Army Air Corps. He was assigned to drop bombs from a B-52 plane. This airplane was nicknamed Superman. At one point, while on a mission, Louis found himself being pursued by nine Japanese fighter planes. His plane took on 600 bullet holes, five cannon holes, the right tail was shot off, the left tire was flattened, and there was blood all over the plane. Seven men were seriously injured. One tragically died, but the rest were able to make it back alive. Louis narrowly escaped death, but not long after, in May 1943, he was ordered to participate in a search and rescue mission. As he was in mid-flight, one of the engines went out, causing the plane to crash. Louis and two other crewmates survived, but they ended up drifting hundreds of miles in the ocean on two flimsy life rafts. After 47 days at sea, they were rescued by the Japanese, only to be sent to a POW camp. Back home, Louis was officially declared dead, but over the next two years, he lived through cruelty and torture at the hands of his captors. One of his captors, a man by the name of Corporal Mutsuhiro Watanabe, a nickname The Bird, was especially cruel to him. In an interview with Fox News some years ago before Louis passed away, he said, If I looked away from him, he would punch me out. If I looked him in the eyes, he would punch me out. Towards the end of the war, Louis, thankfully, was rescued from the POW camp and recognized as a national hero. He got married and ended up writing a book about his life story. Now, even though he'd been rescued and was home, his experience during the war followed him everywhere he went. He became an alcoholic, and his wife Cynthia threatened to leave him. In the fall of 1949, prompted by his wife, Louis attended a revival that was led by a young preacher by the name of Billy Graham. It was at this revival that Louis heard the gospel and decided to put his faith in Jesus. He said, and I quote, I had turned my back on God. But I made a confession of faith in Christ, and my whole life was revolutionized in a moment. Louis spent the rest of his life mentoring troubled youth, and he ended up returning to Japan to forgive the prison guards who held him captive during the war. How amazing is that? There are several documentaries, news stories, and books that highlight Louis's life. And while every part of his story is fascinating, the thing that stood out to me was his willingness to forgive the soldiers who abused him. To be honest, I'm not sure what I would do if something like this happened to me. I'm curious, would you be able to forgive someone who mistreated you like this? Today, we're going to see how this kind of forgiveness was never meant to be the exception. You see, for Christians, 
It's meant to be the norm. Forgiveness is meant to be what Christ followers naturally do. And that's because forgiven people are forgiving people. Before we dive deeper into this incredible truth, I'd like for us to read Philemon chapter 1 one last time. We're in the third and final week of our series on the New Testament letter of Philemon. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to follow along as I read aloud. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. And that is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while, so that you could have him back forever. He's no longer like a slave to you. He's more than a slave, for he's a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, Please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Friends, this letter is one of the most personal passages of Scripture that we have in all of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul's words focus on one very specific purpose. This letter was written as a plea to Paul's dear friend Philemon on behalf of one of his new friends and brother in Christ, Onesimus. We've learned over the past couple of weeks that Onesimus was a slave who belonged to Philemon. After wronging Philemon in some way, we don't know exactly what he did, Onesimus decided to run away. And by the providence of God, he ended up in Rome, where he met the Apostle Paul, and he was led to faith in Jesus through Paul's ministry. After believing in Jesus, Onesimus served alongside Paul, and they did a lot of good things together for the kingdom. 
After some time, Paul decided to send him back to Philemon with this letter so that the two of them could work at restoring their relationship. Onesimus ran away as a slave who had wronged his master, but he returned as a brother in Christ. And this is how Philemon was to receive him, not just as a slave, but as a Christian brother. The forgiveness that needed to be given and received, and the reconciliation that needed to happen, serves as an illustration of what's been done for us in Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How God wants all of us to experience his gift of grace and forgiveness, and how Christians are in turn called to be agents of forgiveness towards others. Forgiven people are forgiving people. If you have notes, the first truth that we're going to highlight today is that because God has forgiven us, we can now forgive others. Because God has forgiven us, we can now forgive others. Look closely with me at verse 21. Paul wrote, I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. That word confident in the Greek is the word pepoithos, which means being persuaded of. Paul had been persuaded. He was confident that Philemon would do what he was asking him to do and even more. Why do you think Paul was so confident that Philemon would forgive Onesimus and receive him back as a brother in Christ? I'll tell you why. It's because Philemon was a man who'd experienced God's grace and forgiveness in his own life. And forgiven people are forgiving people. We don't know what Onesimus did that led him to run away to Rome. But given the tone of this letter, it doesn't sound like it was something that would have been easy to forgive. Because we're human, we tend to view sin in terms of levels. Some sins are easier to ignore than others. Some sins are easier to forgive than others. If I were to do an anonymous survey in our church about this topic, the topic of forgiveness, I'm confident that there would be an attitude towards sin and forgiveness that doesn't exactly line up with Scripture 100% of the time. Let's look to God's Word and you'll see exactly what I mean. I'd like for us to look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 25. This is such an incredible passage that addresses the topic of forgiveness. It says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but seventy times seven. And then we read a parable that Jesus told. And parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Jesus said, Therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king... He went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. 
They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then in verse 35, Jesus said, That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. The religious leaders in the first century taught that people should forgive those who hurt, wronged, or sinned against them, but only three times. This was a very legalistic approach to forgiveness. So here you have Peter trying to be especially generous. He asked Jesus if seven times was enough times to forgive someone. We don't know what he was thinking, but you have to wonder if Peter thought, hey, I'll just double it and add one. That'll make us seem super generous in this area. When Jesus responded to his question, he was basically saying there's no limit to how many times you should forgive someone. He was saying it's not about keeping track. Jesus didn't just come to raise the standard of forgiveness. He came to abolish the human standard. Jesus came to start a new system of forgiveness, a new way of living as the people of God. The idea here is not to just forgive a little more. Jesus was saying there's no limit to the quantity of our forgiveness. And that's because there's no limit to God's capability and his willingness to forgive you and to transform your heart into one that forgives others because you yourself have been forgiven in Christ. Because you've been forgiven much, you can now forgive much. Let's look at the second point as we learn more about this topic of forgiveness. Number two, unforgiveness is ultimately unbelief in the power of the gospel. Again, Paul was confident that Philemon would receive Onesimus back as a brother in Christ and forgive him as they worked towards reconciliation. Paul was confident that Philemon would do what he was asking him to do, and even more, because of the effect that the gospel had and was having on his life. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 says, You were dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Philemon was a new person. Onesimus was a new person in Christ. And because of the effect the gospel had and was having on their lives, they could now be agents of forgiveness themselves. To not extend forgiveness would have been unbelief in the power of the gospel in their lives. I understand forgiveness is rarely easy. But as we reflect on what Jesus has done for us, he forgave all our sins. The Bible says he completely canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So as we reflect on what Jesus has done for us, we can in turn forgive others. I know there might be a few of you listening to the podcast today who are thinking, but you don't know what this person did to me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how I've felt all these years. If that's what's on your mind today, you're absolutely right. 
I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know how others have hurt you and how you've felt all this time. But I do know one very important truth, that nothing is impossible with our God. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it was while you were at your very worst, when all hope seemed lost, that Christ died for you. Can you imagine if this verse, if this truth was not in the Bible? What if God said, you know, you've hurt me too many times. You have abandoned me too many times. What you've said is unforgivable. What you've done is unforgivable. I'm so grateful that this isn't the case. I'm grateful that it was while I was at my very worst that Jesus died for me, providing a way for me to be forgiven and made right in my relationship with God. There's something in all of us that wants to scream out, but they don't deserve forgiveness. And if that's how you feel today, that's exactly the point. You see, because of the cross, Jesus gave us what we didn't deserve. He gave us forgiveness. And as harsh as it may sound, someone who does not grant forgiveness to others shows that they don't fully understand or comprehend their own forgiveness in Christ. When you hold on to the debt that someone owes you because of the pain they've caused you and you choose not to forgive, what you're inadvertently or perhaps unintentionally saying to Jesus is that his death on the cross was not a good enough payment for the sin that they committed against you. But the truth is, Jesus' death, his burial and resurrection is enough. It's enough to save you, it's enough to save me, and it's enough to save the worst sinner you know. It's enough to transform you into an agent of forgiveness. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Point number three, choosing to forgive requires full reliance on Jesus. So friends, this isn't something that we can do in our own strength in our own power. God's word commands us to forgive others when they've wronged us and, and to seek forgiveness when we ourselves have been wronged. When we do this, we follow the example of Jesus. I've heard forgiveness described as the pathway to freedom. Here's what I mean. When God forgives you, you're freed from the guilt and the shame that weighs you down and you're made right with God. When you forgive someone who's wronged you, you're freed from bitterness and resentment that would otherwise take root in your life, otherwise would control your life. Receiving God's forgiveness and choosing to forgive others are at the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. This is what Christians are called to do, but it's not always easy. And that's why choosing to forgive requires full reliance on Jesus. Relying on Jesus in this area starts by learning about and submitting to Scripture's definition of forgiveness, not the world's. See, it's a decision and a promise to release a person by canceling the real debt the person has with you. And it's returning to God the right to take care of justice. Justice belongs to him. Relying on Jesus means focusing on how God has forgiven you in Christ. This is always the starting point for our willingness and ability to forgive others. If you know that you need to forgive someone, first think about the ways in which you've sinned against God, the ways that you've turned your back on God, and then think about the price that Jesus paid so that you could be forgiven and made right in your relationship with him. 
Focusing on your gratitude for what God has done in forgiving your sins often makes it easier to forgive the hurts caused by others. Relying on Jesus also means accepting that forgiveness is not optional for Christians. Gratitude towards God will often motivate us to forgive others, but when the hurt and the pain is too deep and forgiveness seems impossible, you may need to remind yourself that forgiving others is not an option. In fact, it's a prerequisite for our own forgiveness. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a powerful truth. That's a difficult truth. But relying on Jesus means accepting that forgiveness is not optional for Christians. And that's why we have to rely on Jesus. Relying on Jesus also means realizing that forgiveness can be an ongoing process. We tend to want a once and for all forgiveness event. You know, gather the whole family, speak your peace, everyone forgives and everything's made right again. But that's not always the case. Jesus reminds us that some people or some situations uh, might need forgiven over and over again. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 18 when he was talking with Peter. He said, you should forgive 70 times 7. So this isn't a one-time event for people. Sometimes it's, it's ongoing. Finally, relying on Jesus in this area means that forgiveness requires God's power and his strength at work in and through your life. So if God is the author of forgiveness, then why would we be able to extend true forgiveness to others without his help? You know, if you feel like you're not strong enough to forgive or that it's just too hard, I want to encourage you to rely on God's strength in your life. Trust the promise that we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. It says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now... I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So we have to rely on God's power, on his strength. Because God has forgiven us, we can forgive others. Unforgiveness is ultimately unbelief in the power of the gospel. And choosing to forgive, it absolutely requires full reliance on Jesus. You know, if you truly understand how much you've been forgiven in Christ, if you truly get the gospel, and if you fully rely on Jesus, there's nothing that can be done against you that you cannot forgive with God's help. So today, you can either live your life looking in the rearview mirror, or you can look forward. You can either look back at the pain others have caused you and relive all the emotion, reliving the circumstances that cause you anger, hate, and resentment in your life. Or you can look up to Christ and follow his example on the cross as you give others exactly what they don't deserve, forgiveness. Friends, I want to encourage you to follow the example of Jesus and be an agent of forgiveness. My hope is that you would forgive others because you've first been forgiven in Christ. Freely give to others what has so freely been given to you. Forgiven people are forgiving people. 